You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. As I begin this sermon, I want to begin with a question. Maybe it's a question that you've not really verbalized, but you've wondered. And this question has two parts. Where is Jesus and what is he doing today? Well, we want to get into our passage. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We're just going to look at the whole thing together and then come back and talk about it. So this is how Paul begins the fourth chapter. As a prisoner for the Lord, so here's their pastor in jail. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another. Why? Because we're going to annoy each other. That's just something we're supposed to do, and some of you are really good at it. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, that's the church, and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people, that's you guys, the church, for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's the whole church, may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Jesus Christ is the head of the church. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, so the first question, where is Jesus today? Paul tells us, first of all, Jesus is in heaven. That language of descended and ascended explains the whole ministry of Jesus. That Jesus descended down from heaven. That Jesus is God. That he is eternally God, the second member of the Trinity. That he descended from heaven to earth. He lived without sin. That he said he was God, and almost all of humanity opposed him, so we had him crucified. Then he descended, Paul says, into the lower parts of the earth. He was buried in the ground, literally, physically, dead. 
But on the third day, he rose. He ascended out of the grave. That's what we celebrate on Easter. He ascended out of the grave, back to life, conquering death and sin. And then he proved his resurrection by demonstrating he was alive for 40 days. To groups, large and small, to an individual, to small groups, to those numbering in the crowd of 500 people. He appeared to Mary. He appeared to his friends, his disciples, some 11 times after his resurrection, evidencing that he was, in fact, the one who had been crucified as he shows the scars on his body. Everyone knew that he was alive, that he conquered death, that he did the one thing that no one has ever done, beat sin and death. And then after 40 days, he goes back into his heavenly kingdom. So where is Jesus today? He's ascended back into heaven. He is in his heavenly kingdom, ruling and reigning over all times and people and places. Then the next question is, what's he doing? Have you ever wondered that? Like, like tomorrow morning you get up and you're going to grab your calendar, your phone, your to-do list. Well, what's Jesus doing tomorrow? What's he focusing on? What's he paying attention to? Paul talks over and over about the church. And, and so his point is, what Jesus is doing He's serving the church. And he uses this language, the church is like a body. And this is the most common language used in the New Testament as a way to describe the church. It's Paul's favorite way to describe the church. And just like a body has many parts, so you see that they all work together for life and health and progress, you and I are part of a great family of God. And everyone has their part to play. He says that this is all possible through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. This is very important because when Jesus ascended and when he went back into heaven, the question is, okay, well, is Jesus gone? Are we abandoned? Are we orphans? Are we left to our own? There's actually a theology that teaches that. It's called deism. God's just gone. He's like a dad who just walked away from the family and we're left on our own. You could see if you didn't clearly understand the Bible, how you could arrive at that kind of an erroneous assumption. So the question is, when Jesus left, did he just leave us? He didn't. In John's gospel, Jesus says, it's actually better for you that I go so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has not abandoned us. In fact, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is present with the church. He is present with the people of God, and he brings to us the life of the Lord Jesus. He's connecting us to Jesus. Paul says that's the case in verse 3 where he's talking about the unity of the Spirit and in verse 4 where he's speaking of one Spirit. So what is it that Jesus is doing today? Number one, he's serving the church and he's loving the church. 
He's paying attention to the church. He's devoted to the church. He's working in the church through the power, person, and presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is the most amazing group of people in the history of the world. Nations come and go. Circumstances come and go. But the people of God continue moving forward across all cultures and all opposition and all persecution and all the complexity God's people the church keeps moving forward and there are a few billion people on earth today who are worshiping Jesus and are part of the church now how is that how is that possible how could people as disorganized as the church seems to be on occasion with as little giving as we do as a base, with such an offensive message that we teach, continue to abide and even flourish because God is with us. The Spirit is doing something. So the first thing we see Jesus doing right now, He's serving the church. He's loving the church, he's growing the church, he's building the church. Then Paul says another thing that Jesus is doing, he is giving gifts. So we've looked at the fact that Jesus is currently in heaven and through the Holy Spirit he's serving the church. And one of the ways that he's serving the church is through the giving of gifts. Now many of you perhaps have heard of spiritual gifts, but you may not know what they are, what they mean, how to even know what yours is, and maybe even the fact that you have several spiritual gifts. Now, we'll get into more of that in, in a moment, but Paul talks a lot about gifts. Why? Because God loves to give. We don't have a God that we have to beg to give. Remember, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God loves to give. Our God loves to give, and the more you get to know the God who gives, the more you want to become like the God who gives. I think one of the easiest tests of maturity for the Christian is whether you're a giver or a taker. He says the Lord gives. And there's this list in this section of all the things that we are given. And first of all, perhaps most importantly, is that God gives himself. In verse 6, he talks about the God who is over all and through all and in all. God gives himself completely to us. He may not give you complete health. He may not give you wealth. But he gives you himself. That's amazing. Of anything that you could want, nothing could remotely compare to God giving you himself. God gives himself. Jesus gave his life. He gave his righteousness. He gave his salvation. He gave his love and affection. Our God, the Lord Jesus, is a giver. Do you know how radical this is? You look at any other religion, their God is a taker. He will take through, through karma or through a demand of works or a demand of, of certain pilgrimages you have to make. In Jesus, 
He shows up to give. The second thing God gives us is the Holy Spirit. So He gives us Himself, and then He gives us Himself through the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in verses 3 and 4, that we're not orphans, we're not abandoned, we're not alone. We don't live by our own power. We don't have to. We can live by the power of God. We're not left to our own thinking. He directs our understanding. The Holy Spirit is present with us. Now, to a large degree, the Holy Spirit is present and at work in the entire world. But more particularly and powerfully, He is at work in God's people, especially when we assemble together. Now, granted, we are online. This is our last Sunday online only. Uh, We'll continue to be online, but we'll also be meeting in person next week. The Holy Spirit loves it when we can get together. The Holy Spirit loves to show up at our services and at our gatherings where He is the focus. He loves to help us work through our conflicts. He helps us to love and, and serve one another. He helps us wherever Jesus is praised. He loves to show up. The third thing God gives, He gives us people as gifts. You need to know you're a gift. You're a gift to others. You're a gift to our church. What he's talking about here is that these people have these abilities. They they have these contributions. But let me say this. People don't just have gifts. People are gifts. If you think of people just as gifts, you'll use them just for their gifts. But if you see people as gifts themselves, then we will love and appreciate the person, not just their function. And number four, what God also gives is each Christian gets spiritual gifts. Who determines what gift you get? God does. He determines what you do and what they do, you know, someone else. God, in effect, looks at the church and says, okay, they'll need this and they'll need this. So I'll give this person this ability, this person, this capacity, this person, this experience, and they'll use them together and it'll be far better. It's like the language Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. Like, you know, we don't need 17 noses. We need all the right parts, organized and orchestrated. There's going to be a lot of diversity, but we're all on the same unified mission. And then he tells us about some of those spiritual gifts in verse 11, and we're going to consume the rest of our time today talking about spiritual gifts. Let me make some general statements. Number one is this. It doesn't really matter if it's a natural talent or a supernatural, that is, God-given gift. A A natural talent is something that you have innately from birth. A supernatural or God-given gift is something that comes from your new birth. A natural talent is something that you had before you became a Christian. A supernatural God-given gift is something that accompanies the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who's at work in you as you became a Christian. For instance, 
Maybe you can really sing. I mean, sing in such a way that people actually enjoy it. But that's not necessarily a gift just for Christians. That's a natural talent, but non-Christians sing too. But once you become a Christian and you have musical ability, you then choose to make sure some of that's used for Jesus, then it's a spiritual gift. Or maybe you're a programmer, an engineer, or a graphic designer, or a teacher, whatever the case, and you become a Christian, you say, well, what do I do? Well, maybe these are the abilities God's already given you to use for ministry. So it doesn't matter if it's a natural ability, as long as you use it for God's glory, then it becomes a spiritual gift. The second thing I want to say about spiritual gifts is that sometimes you find yours by trial and error. You try something, you're not really good at it. You don't enjoy it. Other people don't either, and they'll say, stop. That might be an indication that is not your thing. You try something else, you get a lot of pleasure out of it. Other people appreciate it. God seems to bless it. Then maybe that is your thing. In addition, you can have multiple spiritual gifts, and you can have differing amounts of a gift. So let's say that you have a leadership gift. Well, that means maybe your leadership skills work best on a one-on-one situation. Maybe you can do small groups. Maybe it's large teams that you can lead. Maybe it's a massive organization. In addition, you need to cultivate those gifts. Let's say you have the gift of teaching. Well, you can't just say, well, I have the gift of teaching, so I'm going to teach. Do you read? Have you studied? No, but, but I have the gift of teaching. Well, you don't have the gift of discernment. I can tell you that because you have to cultivate that ability to teach. You have to study. And let me say this, if you come to our church and you're annoyed by something, okay, something other than me, but you're annoyed by something and it just bothers you, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, for you that are under 30, that was a writing device in classrooms, you're like, I I hate this, why don't they fix this, that just drives me crazy. Well, that might be your gift, not to be annoyed, but to fix the thing that annoys you. You can walk in and say, why don't they fix that? That might be that that's your gift to see that that thing needs to be fixed where no one else is seeing it. So you shouldn't get frustrated. You should assume that is Jesus' work for you in ministry. In other words, don't be the one who says, well, we'll go where they have everything already in place. In that case, what you're saying is, we're going to go where someone is paid to do that ministry or program, so I don't have to do a thing. I can just sit back. So why does God give gifts? Paul says in verse 12, and this is one of the more important passages in the New Testament about the church. Why does God give gifts and leaders, he says, to equip his people, that's you, the church, for works of service, so that the body of Christ, the whole church, may be built up. You see, my job is to equip you to do ministry. So what Paul is saying is that there is a difference between a consumer mentality and a Christian mentality. 
In consumer mentality, the leadership exists to serve you. In Christian mentality, the leadership exists to equip you to serve others. Consumer mentality is like a business transaction. You try to give the least amount of time and energy, money, commitment, and get the most out of it. But on the other hand, in Christian mentality, it's how do I give my time, my gifts, my money, my abilities so that I can bring unity and and health to the whole family? The problem with consumer thinking, besides the fact that it's not biblical, is that you won't find any joy in that approach because the heart of Jesus is not there. Christian thinking says, where am I needed? What can I do? How can I help build the church? Our goal is that all of God's people would be giving, that we would be coming together being able to reach out so that others get to know Jesus. And how do we do that? By determining what's my gift? How has God wired me? What are my contributions? And and let me be clear about this. Your gift is not your identity. Remember, being in Christ is your identity. Your gift is your activity. Your Identity in Christ explains who you are. Your spiritual gift clarifies what you do. There's a big difference. You don't get your identity from your gift. So I'm not a preacher. I'm a Christian who preaches. You're not an administrator or a leader or a teacher or a businessman or woman. You're a Christian who does all those things. So the most important thing to us is to love the church in a way that is best for all God's people. All that being said, there are four places in the New Testament that give us the spiritual gifts list. You'll find it in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, here in Ephesians 4, and in 1 Peter 4. Now, if you were to look at those passages, what you'll notice is that all all the lists are the same. Some of them have overlap. Some of them are different. That tells me that these are not an exhaustive list. So there may be other spiritual gifts. But know this, you are gifted. You are gifted. Maybe you've never heard that. You've never heard you have a meaningful, valuable purposeful contribution to make. You can do things that matter and help others who need you. There is a need for you with your name written on it right here. And you get to do the work of Jesus. That's what ministry is. It's going to work with Jesus. So who or where do you have a passion to serve? What do you have a burden to do? What needs do you see in the church? Where do you find joy in in serving and and doing for others? What are you really, really good at and, and successful in? And what acts of service give you a deep sense of satisfaction and joy? The answer to those questions are indicators of how God made you 
and what kinds of ministry He has prepared you for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in 2,000 years from now, there may not be the nations of this earth, but there will be the church. 2,000 years from today, there will not be the businesses we work in, but there will be the church. 2,000 years from today, there will not be the universities we attend, but there will be the church. And Father, we thank you that you have given us yourself and you've invited us with our gifts to be a part of the biggest thing in the history of the world. We're grateful for it. We pray for our church. We pray for all churches that love you. And we pray for unity and momentum among the few billion who call on the name of Jesus. And we call right now on the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us and to work through us and to help us not only know our gifts, but use them for the name and fame of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.